So I want us to look at Luke chapter 2 this morning as we think about Christmas now just five days away. And I'm calling this, Do You See uh, What I See? Hodgenville, Kentucky. I don't know if anyone's ever been there, but it's a pretty typical American town. It's in central Kentucky in LaRue County. And by the way, if you're not familiar with Kentucky, Hodgenville is about an hour south of Louisville. And uh, speaking of Louisville, um, uh, I had a trivia question for you, Ron. Is the capital of Kentucky pronounced Louisville or Louisville? Uh, no, it's pronounced Frankfurt. But thank you, thank you for uh, thank you for falling right into that trap. Um, well, if you've ever been to Hodgenville, Kentucky, you may have seen a historical marker just outside of town, commemorating the birthplace of our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. That's right, Abraham Lincoln was born to Tom and Nancy Lincoln on February 12, 1809, just outside of Hodgenville on the Sinking Spring Farm. The historical plaque recounts a conversation between two town folk back in 1809, the year Lincoln was born. And it explains how a neighbor saw a man from town, and he went up to him and asked him a question. And this is the conversation that ensued. Any news down at the village, Ezra? Well, Squire McLean's gone to Washington to see Madison sworn in. An old spellman tells me that that Bonaparte fellow has captured most of Spain. What's new out here, neighbor? Ah, uh, nothing at all, nothing at all, except a, a new baby down at Tom Lincoln's house. Nothing ever happens out here. Well, some events, like birthdays in Hodgenville or Bethlehem, may not create much earthly splash at first, but those of lasting importance will eventually get the notice they deserve. And that's the case with the birthday we'll be celebrating this week. It was a pretty typical day outside of Bethlehem. Not much ever happened there, except on that night. Now, there's no plaque outside of town that we can visit, but we do have a record, a timeless record in the Bible of a conversation between some average everyday shepherds and an angel. And for 2,000 years, the shepherds, who asked the question, uh, what is this all about? As the angel appeared and the light shone and there was uh, all this thing that broke the monotony in their, uh, in their routine life. Asked, do you see what I see? For 2,000 years, their testimony, their record has been recorded in Scripture. And all across the world, people celebrate what we now call Christmas but do we really see Christmas uh, through the eyes of the shepherds? I want to pick it up with the birth of our Savior in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So it started with a newborn baby wrapped in cloths and, and laid in a feed trough. And not far away in the field outside of Bethlehem were these shepherds who might have been thinking, boy, nothing ever happens out here. But they were about to have a conversation with an angel that would 
turn this ordinary mundane evening into one of eternal importance. So let's revisit this event this morning. Just a few thoughts uh, this morning through the eyes of the shepherd. The first thing we see is that they waited. They were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields. It was a pretty typical night. Again, nothing much ever happened out there. They might fend off an occasional (coughs) predator trying to sneak up on some sheep. Uh, They may swap stories with other shepherds. Or, you know, I've often wondered if they counted sheep to stay awake. We count sheep to go to sleep, but they probably counted them to stay awake. But they waited for daybreak or for their shift to end or for something to break the monotony. But then we read, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Something did break the monotony that night, and it caused great anxiety for the shepherds. They worried. You know, angelic appearances are not normally occasions for joy and happiness. As we read through the the historical record in God's Word, the presence of God often was very serious and somber. In fact, we could think of occasions like Moses at the burning bush or the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration when they fell flat on their faces. So they worried. What could this mean? And then the angel (coughs) said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. How can this be good news? They must have wondered. In their minds, they began wrestling with this disconnect between the powerful presence of God's envoy and the angel, the angel of the Lord, and this reference to good tidings of great joy. Again, angelic appearances were not always occasions for joy. And then the angel goes on, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so the mystery deepens. Uh, Now the angel really had their attention. How could this be, they wondered? The Messiah? The Christ? Here? Now? In our day? Where is he? Bethlehem? The city of David? I mean, they probably thought, I remember the prophet Micah saying something about this humble little town, but really? Bethlehem, here, now. And not just the Christ, which would have invoked all sorts of thoughts of the messianic hope and the the promise of the Davidic king and all of that, but a Savior. What's that all about? I mean, the first century Jews and many generations before them had long fixated on the messianic aspects of the coming king, the Christ, But they had overlooked the sacrificial, atoning parts. I mean, even though Isaiah, and we read a moment ago as our scripture passage, in other places, he had predicted that the Messiah would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, and that only through his death would anyone be able to find peace with God. And yet, most Jews missed it. And the angel of the Lord here connected Christ's saving sacrificial work with his Messiahship. So the shepherds no doubt wondered, how, how is this possible? And then the angel continued, this will be a sign to you. 
You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, all sorts of thoughts raced through their minds, I'm sure, as they wrestled and wondered and began to wish for some kind of confirmation. You know, it's like when you, when you get good news, but you just aren't sure if you should really let yourself believe it because you're so used to being let down. And so you just sort of say, oh, I want to contain my enthusiasm. If only I had some kind of sign. How could the shepherds confirm or verify that this really is the long-awaited Messiah? If only they had a sign. Well, a sign is exactly what they got. If you've ever studied Jewish culture, then you know in that day uh, the concept of a manger was quite a bit different from our American concept. Uh, it wasn't a quaint or wooden or picturesque manger like what we see in our manger scenes. Uh, a manger was a feeding trough, and they were carved out of stone. If they'd been made from wood, the food and the water would have caused them to decay over time. And so to this day, these stone feeding troughs, like the one you see on the screen, they're all over Israel. In the time of Christ, Flocks of sheep or goats could only be kept in certain places within Israel due to the negative effects on agriculture. So the area south of Jerusalem around Bethlehem was designated as a spot where you could raise sheep for the sacrificial system in Judaism. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the middle of thousands of sheep being born and raised for the Jewish temple sacrifices. Later, when Jesus grew up and began his earthly ministry. Remember, John the Baptist would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that would have been quite a statement to the Jews whose lives revolved around sacrificing tens of thousands of lambs each year to cover their sins. But why did the angel tell the shepherds that Jesus would be wrapped in swaddling cloths? How would the swaddling cloths be a sign to them. Well, as a matter of fact, it was a huge sign. Uh, this was not some incidental detail. Remember, every jot and tittle of Scripture has significance, right? Sometimes we become so familiar with certain phrases and words that we forget to ask the, 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 the logical questions. How is this a sign that he would be wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger? Well, during the birthing season of all these lambs, Levitical priests would be sent from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to watch over the birthing process to make sure the sheep were born without any defects. And on the edge of the fields surrounding Bethlehem, where most of those sheep were being born, there was a two-story stone tower. In Hebrew, it's called Migdal Eder, meaning Tower of the Flock. And Israeli archaeologists have actually found this tower, the Migdal Eder Tower is mentioned in the book of Micah, the prophet, in the context of the announcement of the birth of the Messiah. Remember, Micah was the same prophet that said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And Micah 4.8 tells us that the Messiah would arrive or be revealed at Migdal Eder, translated here in the New King James as Tower of the Flock. But the Hebrew is Migdal Eder, the Tower of the Flock. So the priest would climb the tower and look out over all the flocks to see any signs that a sheep was about to give birth. Sheep would usually get fidgety or paw the ground or separate themselves from the flock just before birthing a lamb. And when those signs were noticed, they would bring the sheep to the tower's ground floor where it would give birth 
in a more ceremonially clean area. And when a lamb was born that was without blemish, perfect for the sacrificial system, it was then immediately wrapped in strips of cloth made from old priestly garments. And the purpose was to make sure the lamb would stay unblemished. And then the priest would put this lamb in a manger, one of those stone feed troughs, to keep it from getting trampled by all the other sheep. So when the angel of the Lord told the shepherds in the field that the Savior had been born and that the sign was that he would be wrapped in the same cloths as the sacrificial sheep and placed in a manger like sacrificial sheep, they would have immediately understood the significance of the sign. Their wish came true, a sign. And there would be many more signs, by the way, many more fulfilled prophecies to come that would validate who Jesus is and what he would do for the world. And I wonder if we understand the significance of a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. When we celebrate Christmas, we're acknowledging not only the supreme event of all human history where, as the song goes, where where heaven touched earth like an unforeseen kiss, when God left the realm of eternity, came to earth, put on human flesh, and, and sacrificed ultimately for the sins of the world in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But we're celebrating an amazing detailed sign that guarantees the culmination of God's plan. The sign that the angels gave to the shepherds that night. It's a plan that goes from the feed trough to the sacrificial altar of a cross and ultimately someday to a throne when Christ comes back to make all things new. You know, parents, especially young first-time parents, often make a big deal about a baby's first Christmas outfit. I remember last year was our granddaughter Zoe's first Christmas, and she looked so adorable in the outfit that Brooke had picked out for her. But it occurs to me that the first clothes that Jesus wore wore were the clothes of a priest. And today, as we await his return, we have a high priest in heaven sitting at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. He's no longer a helpless lamb, but a high priest who defeated death, rose from the dead, and and sits in heaven waiting uh, for the inauguration of the kingdom, waiting to be inaugurated as the King of kings and Lord of lords upon his return. You know, we've talked before about the four offices of Christ. He came as prophet where he proclaimed the word of God and in fact was the living word of God. He is now the priest. He will come back as king. And someday at the end of the millennial phase of the kingdom, he will sit on the great white throne and serve as the judge. But right now in his role as priest, he is our sufficient advocate. One who is interceding on our behalf. So they wished for a sign to help clarify, and and that's what they got. But returning back to Luke's narrative, it's... Luke tells us, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. As the shepherds wished for their sign, they watched, and suddenly an amazing display of glory appeared. Like some greatest fireworks display you could ever imagine. And then... 
When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem. They worshipped. It was obvious to the shepherds where they needed to go. The city of David, Migdal Eder. And they headed toward that birthing tower where they found Joseph and Mary with Jesus lying where a sacrificial lamb should be. And where the sacrificial lamb was, Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior, lying in a feed trough. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And then, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying that was told them concerning this child. They witnessed. They witnessed. It was unbelievably good news. Anybody that knew the Jewish scriptures knew this was it. It had finally happened in their day. The Messiah had come, just like the prophets foretold. Sure, it had been centuries and centuries, but now here he was. And I think the lesson for us today, and I talked a bit about this in our Bible study hour, is that here we are 2,000 years after the time of Christ when he promised to return and set up his kingdom, and we might begin to get complacent. Our hope might begin to wane. But there is going to be a generation, and it could very well be yours and mine right now. It could be today that experiences the fulfillment of the prophecies of Scripture in the same way that the shepherds and those in the first century uh, experienced the, the first advent of Christ. So there we have it, a look at that pivotal night in human history through the eyes of the shepherds. An ordinary night turned extraordinary. A field outside of a town where nothing ever happens out here, except something did happen. The Lamb of God was born. And that Lamb of God paid your penalty for sin on the altar of the cross. Do you see what they saw? Do we see what millions have seen for centuries when they reflect on that glorious night in Bethlehem? Now, I have to be honest with you, this Christmas, we can kind of bring it back from the realm of historical narrative and scripture to, so what? What are we dealing with today? This Christmas is the hardest one in a long time for many people to see what the shepherds saw. We are facing unprecedented times in many, many ways, and it's all happening so fast. I was talking to someone before the service about how fast everything is just unraveling. It's hard to look at all of the burdens and concerns and tragedies and sadness and all of the restrictions and limitations and financial struggles and sickness and stress and on and on. I mean, being distracted by all that, who has time to stop and really look at Christmas with spiritual eyes through the eyes of, say, those who were there that first Christmas morning? But that's exactly what we must do. Otherwise, Satan wins the victory. He is uh, an agent of chaos. See, God is a God of order, and peace, and comfort. Satan wants to bring chaos and distraction. And if he can blind us to something as important as Christmas, there's no end to his deception. So here's my challenge. Don't miss what is right before our eyes this week. Christmas. The birth of a Savior. And to help us remember that uh, principle, I want to close out with a short video, about two and a half minutes, that illustrates how easy it is to miss the significance of Christmas 
even when it's right before our very eyes. My mama told me something when I was growing up that has forever changed my life. She played the piano at our little church at 3rd and Pine Street for 37 years. She tried to teach me to play the piano, <laughs> but I wasn't very good. She would teach me the names of the notes, what a major key is, what a minor key is. She tried to teach me musical theory, but I was just bored. Then, one day, she told me that the best news in the world is found by playing a simple scale on the piano. I had no idea what she meant, so she told me to play an eight-note scale. So I did. I said, how is that good news? And she said I played it incorrectly and that I needed to play it the other way. So I did. Again, I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it the right way, but I needed to add the pauses. The pauses? She said, the pauses. Add them on the first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. Now, I was frustrated and said, how can eight notes with random pauses be the best news in the world? Then I got up, walked away, and went outside. Frankly, I didn't care what she was talking about. I didn't like playing the piano anyway. Well, years later, my mama got sick and passed away. As I was thinking about her, I remembered what she told me about the piano. Not only that, I still remember the notes she told me to pause. The first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. So I sat down at her piano and played the scale with the pauses. And that's when I realized the good news she was talking about. <laughs>